Uh, okay, we are in a series on the book of Hebrews. And uh, I was gone last week. We took a, took a little bit of time off. Uh, had a great time with my son, my daughter, and my daughter-in-law in, in uh, Philadelphia. Um, and so we're back into it. We're in Hebrews chapter 3 today. And we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 6. So I'm going to read those verses. And then we can uh, get started. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. But Christ is faithful as the son over God's house. And we are his house, if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. You know, maybe you're here for the first time. Um, Maybe you're not a Christian. And you might wonder, at different times, people wonder these types of things. You might wonder, well, what is my purpose on this planet Is there meaning in all this hardship that goes on around us? Where is the story of my life even heading? And I would strongly encourage you to consider Jesus. And maybe you're here this morning, you're a Christian, and yet you're still struggling with identity. You're still looking for security, longing for intimacy, desperate for peace during troubled times in your life. And I would say to you the same thing. Consider Jesus. Because we're all looking. We're all looking for meaning in life. But life is frantic. Life is busy. Life is distracting. And stuff and circumstances are always pulling us in every direction. And we end up feeling exhausted and still dissatisfied with what the world offers. And I would say, consider Jesus. And that's the message of the book of Hebrews. That's the message in a nutshell. In this passage today, we're going to see how it shapes the way we live in a frantic and a difficult and a tiring world. We're going to look at that, and it's going to inform us. And I want you to see here the writer. He's going to tell them some things. And the first thing he's going to do is he's going to ground them, his readers, that's us, in their identity. All right? So first what he's going to do is he's going to ground them in their identity. He's going to say, you've got to get this. You've got to know this. This is so important. And it's in verse 1. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. And so he's saying, holy brothers and sisters. He's telling them something about themselves. This is who you are. This is your identity. You know, throughout Scripture, this happens over and over and over and over in Scripture. The writers speak about how we are to live in this world, but they always make sure they get identity straight beforehand. They always give doctrine beforehand. They always give them something incredibly important to grasp, and then they say, on the basis of this, bam, this is how you live. Because they're not saying, just get out there and do good. Get out there and be strong and courageous. They're not saying that. They're saying, look, on the basis of who you are, you now have the ability to get out there and be strong and courageous. Not because of who you are, 
in the sense of what you are in, in yourself, it's because of what God has done. See, when you see who Jesus is, then you see more clearly who you are. It sharpens our focus. It sharpens our understanding. Because as we go and as we talk to people in, in most of the world, people don't have a clue of who they are, of why they're here. And it's something that oftentimes is, is, is freely admitted. Um, Camus talks about this in a couple of his writings, a couple of his books, where there is no rhyme or reason to this earth. There's nothing to live for. There's no purpose. There's no meaning. And so then his solution is, his solution is, you make up a meaning. Just make it up. Just find the meaning. Hold on to it and pursue that with, 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 with all, your, all your energy, all your heart. Uh, Bertrand Russell, probably one of the greatest uh, philosophers and, and atheists, says almost exactly the same thing. There is no meaning to this at all. And so what, how do we live? We find some sort of meaning. We kind of make it up. It comes out. And there, there's a real problem with that because then what happens is it all totally depends on you. It's your meaning, your worth, what you've made up. And I can't tell you how terrible that is because you will blow it and you will fail it. You're not made to determine what the meaning is. You know, it's, it's, we've, we, you know, all these studies have been done, and they're, 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 they're famous, of, of children who were born without a family, born in an orphanage with rotating caretakers, and the incredible amount of damage that does to a human being to not have some underlying basis, uh, some underlying foundation that gives them identity. A child born without parents is lost and they can try to come up with things and say, you're, you know, and, and this is unfortunately what they do. A caretaker comes and they, they, you know, intuitively begin to think, that's my parent. And then that caretaker leaves and another caretaker comes and goes, well, that's my parent. And, another, and they start going, I don't have a parent. I have nothing. And it does incalculable damage to the psyche of a person to feel it. And God is saying, you have an identity. In Hebrews, in, in this book, some of these readers, they want to quit. They're beaten down. They're struggling. And he speaks identity to them. He doesn't say, buck up. Pull yourself together. He doesn't say, sorry. This is the way things are. There's no hope in any of this. There's no hope for the future. He doesn't say that. He speaks identity. And the first thing he tells them is, you're holy. You're holy. That means you're washed of your sins. You're a new person. You may not feel like it but you are. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you have made that decision to commit your life to Christ, you have been declared holy. And he says, your family, we are sisters and brothers adopted through the blood of Christ. It's God looking and saying, I choose you. I choose you. Imagine that. Think on that for a moment. The creator of the universe said, I choose you. You're the one I want. That's incredible. That's incredible. So you're holy, you're family, and you're called. He says we have this calling. We share in this heavenly calling. 
Now, I know most of you cannot remember a time. <laughs> this is, I'm, you know, I'm the old guy, right? I'm the old guy. I can remember as a kid, as a teenager, my mom calling to me, hey, Bobby. They called me Bobby. Hey, Bobby, phone's for you. And I would say, who is it? Who's calling? Right? And my mom would go, I think it's April. And I'm like, Mom! And then, and then you hoped, you hoped your family had one of those cords that would go like 20 feet. So you could go to another room and close the door instead of having a phone that only has like a six-foot cord. So you're standing in your kitchen talking to this girl with your mom standing there. And she'd be looking at me at, and she'd go, oh, she'd do dishes, right? <laughs> she'd do dishes. And then she'd go and get herself in the fridge, you know, and go, I wonder what, and then I'd be like, I can't talk to you right now, you know. Who's calling? What if one time she said, oh, Bobby, phone, who is it? Who's calling? Um, seems to be God. Wow. You have been called by God. He called you by name, Scripture tells us. He called you by name. He said, Bob. Maybe he said, Bobby. I hope not. He said, Bob, I choose you. I choose you. That's incredible. He said your name. He looked straight at you, and he said, I choose you. I choose you. That's an incredible thought. You have been called by God. You have been called to God. You have been called for God. God wants you. He does not just accept you, you know, like put up with you. He wants you. The creator of the universe is crazy about you and willing to do anything to get you into his family, including the death of his own son. That's how much he loves you. That's an amazing love. That is what we were just talking about a little while ago. That is a love that's from out of this world. That's not here. That's not this love, you know? I was explaining this one time to a group of teenagers when I had a youth, had a youth group, and, um, and I had my little son, Cody, was in the room, and I said, it's, it's, it's like as if I got a call from the, from the prison, in, a prison in Virginia, in the state here, and they said, look, we got this guy. He's, he's, uh, he's been convicted of murder. It's a horrible thing, and he's going to die. But, but there is a loophole. You're, if, you're, if you'd give up your son, he could die for him. And I'd be like, well, is, you know, has, is the guy repentant? Has he, has, he, has he at least said, I'm sorry? And they're like, no, he, he just, he just he'll spit in your face and call you names. And I'm like, so you, you think I would do that? I'd give my son? And it's like God got a call from the prison system in Virginia, and they said, got this guy, his name is Bob Mosley, and he's incredibly guilty, and he's not repentant. Are you willing to give your son? And God said, yes. Yes, I am. Without a doubt. Without a moment's hesitation. That's unbelievable. That's unbelievable. And so he starts with their identity. And today, you may be feeling lonely, unwanted, like a failure, no purpose, depressed, or lost. And God says, I want you. You are holy. You're family. You're called. This is full of holy and being part of a family and being called. It's full of meaning and purpose. And life, and life. And that brings us back to something we, we went over in the book of John, these two words for life, bios and zoe. And I know for many of you, like, Bob, you've said this so many times. 
right? I'm going to go over this until it's in your dreams, right? You're going to wake up one night in the middle of the night and go, there's a bios in the room. There's a bios in the room, okay? I'm going to haunt you with this. Bios, Zoe, bios is existence. It's just breathing and eating and sleeping and, and, and everything that's involved with biological life. Word bios leads to biological. Zoe is this idea of a life that is full of meaning and purpose and, and the kind of life that you go, I love this. It fills you with something that makes you want more. Zoe is this, and Jesus says, I came to give you Zoe, but he always tacks on almost every time, eternal Zoe. He wants us to know the scope of it, this life that he has for us. And there are lots of people who are just by us. They're just existing. They're breathing and eating and taking up space and using up resources, and they think that's life. And it's just living. It's just existing. That's, to me, just existing without God is a good metaphor for hell. There's nothing in it for anyone. But Zoe brings something to the table. Now, it does not mean, let me tell you, I don't want to you know, sound like some of those people on TV or whatever that's just going to make your life so full of joy. It's just going to be, no. It can be difficult at times. He's not saying it won't be difficult. He's saying it will have meaning and purpose. And even your difficulties, even your, the worst things, even tragedies, God says, I will turn that into good. I will create something great out of that. That is meaning then. A life with meaning and purpose. And so God says, you're holy. He says, you're family. And he says, you've been called. So he grounds them in their identity, and now he points them to their Savior. And it's still in, we're still in verse 1. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. All right, this word, fix your thoughts, some versions say consider Jesus, fix your eyes on Jesus. It has this idea of a careful thinking, not a, not a spur-of-the-moment thing. Careful thinking discernment, understanding, being thoughtful about it, taking your time, investigating something. I would encourage you, if you're, if you, if you're not sure about all this stuff, if you're, not, you're not sure what you think about everything like that I'm talking about, everything, I would encourage you to investigate. I would love, you, you know, I can, I can lend you stuff. I got, I got books, I got different things that, that deal with those very issues. I'd love to help you with that. And so he's telling them, fix your eyes, fix your thoughts on Jesus, this careful thinking, discernment, understanding. And this is all throughout this book. These are people who are tired and struggling, and the writer keeps calling them back to Christ, redirecting their focus. He says, I want you to focus. And you know, focus is such a hard thing for us. We always talk about, I, I get up here, and I'm always afraid that I'm, I, I don't ever want you to misunderstand. I, I sit with you while we sing, Right? And I'm singing the same thing you're singing. And I'm trying to focus on God and see what God is communicating and how he's communicating and how great and how awesome he is as we're singing. But also sometimes I think, I didn't pay the water bill this week. How can I be so stupid? And sometimes you people, you think I'm praising. What I'm doing is dumb, dumb, dumb. That's what I'm doing sometimes. Because my mind wanders so easily. 
And then I, I'm like, oh, God, forgive me. I want to get back and focus on Jesus. Focus on what we're singing. I know it's hard. And we all, we all have different things we can struggle with in focusing. We all learn differently, in a sense. Kids, if you have kids, you, you, you notice after a while, your kids learn differently. Our daughter Holly was the unconventional learner. Um, she was, she, she was, she is very smart, but she's a little weird. And she had this phase when she was little that she used to, she really liked to run around with no clothes on. And uh, maybe some of you have a child like that. If you don't, you'll get one. If you have your, your children and none of them are like that, you're lucky. You know, you're blessed. And because, you know, it's just a phase. If you have a child that likes to run around in just their underwear, let me just tell you, they'll grow out of that. It just takes about 20 years, but they will grow out of that. And she would, she would, when we were trying to teach her something, she would contort herself into weird, I'm seriously, weird positions. And I used to speak to her sometimes sharply and say, sit in the chair and be still. I'm trying to teach you the Bible, right? And, and she would sit there, and it would just be like, you know, you were torturing her. And so she said, Daddy, let me get on the couch. Okay, get on the couch. She jumped over to the couch, and this, I'm, this is not, this is the absolute. She stood on her head in her underwear with her feet up in the air, and she said, but God demonstrates his love towards us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And I'm like, that's it. That's the verse I was trying to get you to memorize. And she said, I can't say it right side up. <laughs> and, and so, okay, so I learned she's an unconventional learner. Because, you know, we all, she would always blurt things out while I was trying to teach her stuff. Daddy, did you know there's a lizard in Amazon that can walk on water? They call it the Jesus lizard. And I'd be like, that's nice, honey. Wait, what? What are you talking about? We're looking at Romans chapter five, you know? And then I realized that's how she focused in weird ways. Figure out when you can focus. I mean, this is such a key for sometimes trying to spend time with God every day. Figure out when you focus, when can focus and what it's like and do that because everybody's different. But he's saying, you got to focus. You got to focus. We all get distracted. We need that. So what works for you? Because we get pulled here and there. We forget what's most important. And God keeps trying to pull our attention back. And in this book, he's doing this. He's saying, fix your eyes on Jesus. Pay attention to Jesus because this is important. And I know, I know sometimes, you know, you're reading something and you just go, I don't get anything. I'm not, I don't understand the passage. I don't, I'm not getting anything out of it. And that's when you need to focus. And that's when sometimes it takes time. I don't know how many times I've, re I've read 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, how great is the Father's love for us without ever investigating what the word great meant and suddenly realizing it's an out-of-this-world love. That's amazing. Suddenly that verse means so much more to me now. I understand better God's love for us. In the Disney series Ahsoka, there's a map that's in the form of a ball. 
And it's like, like kind of like a Rubik's Cube, but it's way, 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 way more complicated because I couldn't figure it out. So there's this map in the form of a ball. And Sabine Wren, one of the things, is she, she's trying to figure it out. She's very good at these kind of things. And she's trying to focus. And you see this, like a series of scenes that you, you, know, you know what's going on for hours as she's trying to figure out. And then all of a sudden, she sees something and she goes, and it works. It clicks. Can I tell you, that's how it is in our lives sometimes. We can read the same verse over and over and over, but one time it clicks. We can be in certain situations and suddenly we go, and it clicks. That's when we we need to focus because it doesn't always click right away, but sometimes it does. And you have an aha moment. So, He grounds them in their identity. He points them to their Savior. Fix your thoughts. Fix your eyes on Jesus. And then he's going to give us some more attributes. In the first two chapters, we've gotten tons of attributes of Jesus. What is he doing? He's filling out. He's he's building this picture of Jesus that shows everything about him from all sides, from all sorts. And and he's going to tell, he's going to give them more better attributes. That's all there is to it. It's just a lot of attributes. Here he goes. Let me tell you what we've looked at already. This is some of them. This, in the first two chapters, Jesus is the son of God. Jesus is the heir. Jesus is the creator. Jesus is the glory of God. Jesus is God. Jesus is the sustainer of the universe. Jesus is superior. He's better than angels. Jesus is to be worshiped. He is the savior. He was made lower than angels so that he could suffer and die for us. He died for us. He is our brother. Jesus is crowned with glory and honor. And this is the one I love so much. He is not ashamed of us. He is not ashamed of us. We are his family. So we have all these things that describe, that are filling out this picture of Jesus, of who he is. And now we're going to get a couple more. From verse 1, it says here, uh, fix your eyes on thoughts on Jesus whom we acknowledge as our apostle, so he's, he's this apostle. The word apostle simply means a sent one. It means a sent one. Jesus said this a lot about himself, how he was sent. He's on a mission. He was sent for a specific purpose. It was not an accident. He came, he said, to seek and save the lost, to renew the broken in this world. It says that he's the high priest. He's our faithful, faithful high priest. We talked about this last week. And there's going to be a lot more about this as we go through the book. But just, just so you kind of refresh your memory on some of these things, the, the, the high priest once a year went into the Holy of Holies. Once a year, the sins of the children of Israel, there was a sacrifice and then there was a scapegoat. And he would sacrifice and he would take it in to where the altar was, the Ark of the Covenant, and he would sprinkle it on the mercy seat, showing that mercy, mercy is not cheap. And then they would take the goat and the high priest would confess the sins of Israel on this goat, the scapegoat it was called. And then someone would take that goat out into the wilderness for it to disappear and die. And those people would know our sins have gone. Our sins for the past year have gone. But it was only for a year. It was only temporary. And then... Remember in the first chapter of John, John the Baptist looks and says, Behold to Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Once for all, no more sacrifices, no more offerings. It's taken care of. And so he's that faithful high priest. 
And interestingly, he's also the sacrifice. He's both. He's both. They've been doing that for thousands of years. But Jesus, the man who is also God, becomes the final high priest to make the final sacrifice. He's sent from above. He is the faithful high priest. Jesus is the greater Moses. Now, this is in verses uh, 2 through 6. I just want you to understand, for the Jews, Moses was revered. Many thought he was the greatest Jew who ever lived. Right? And so when we read this, this is what it's talking about. He was faithful to the one who appointed him just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future, but Christ is faithful as the son over God's house, and we are his house, if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. And so he's setting up this idea that is incredibly important to them. Jesus is greater than Moses, the greatest Jew who ever lived. He's huge to them. He rescued the Israelites. He led them out of slavery. He fought for them, Moses did. To most Jews... He would be the most revered man in the history of the nation. And this passage is saying, you, want, you, you think Moses is great, and rightly so. But Jesus is greater. Jesus, Moses, was involved in building this great house of Israel, this great nation. But Jesus is doing it for the whole world. He's greater than Moses. Moses was a witness to the greater one who's coming. We talked about the Shiloh prophecy. I can't get all into all that. And then Deuteronomy 18, 18, there's a greater prophet coming. And so we see that Jesus is greater than Moses. He's the greater Moses. The similarities are, are, are interesting when you look at that. Like Moses, Jesus' life was threatened as an infant. Both were hidden away. Both came out of Egypt, tested in the wilderness, both met God on the mountain. Both stood between God and some sinful people. Both delivered God's people from slavery. But the greater Moses, Jesus, brought a greater deliverance. Not slavery like slavery from Egypt, but slavery from sin and death. Moses led them to the promised land, and Jesus is leading us to a new creation for all eternity. So this freedom... Moses found this freedom for them. Jesus has this freedom that we all long for. You know, in our country, we prize freedom. But oftentimes we have it all wrong. You ask most people, how do you define freedom? They say it's the removal of restraint. That's not really true. That's not really true. Biblically, here's what Jesus did. Freedom is not the ability to do whatever you want to do. Freedom is the ability to do what you were made to do. That's a whole different thing. Now you can do what you're made to do. We have that in Christ. He's the greater Moses. He's the greater Exodus. He's the greater liberation. This is the power of the gospel in people's lives. The cross shattered the shackles of the past of oppression and of sin. Now we're truly free. We now can live the Zoe life that we were made for not a life of frustration and disappointment and looking back and total regret, 
but a life that has meaning and purpose, a life that even when you look back, you see how even your mistakes God could use to create something greater out of it. It's an incredible, incredible thing. I'm going to ask Emma, I'm going to ask you guys to come up. Um, something interesting happened yesterday. The, uh, I came for the worship. We had a worship night last night. It was awesome. Um, we're going to have another one in October. I'd encourage you to come. But I was praying earlier this week, and, and I, I said, God, I, this is what I want to do. I want, I want, to, I want to do, because we're looking at all this stuff, I want to do a blessing at the end, like, like, like you see in Deuteronomy. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face. And, and so I came. I'd been thinking about that and kind of th- thinking about doing it. And I came, and, and Emma sang that blessing last night. And I was like, that's why you have me here, God. That's why. So she's going to sing it. It took a lot of arm twisting, but she's going to sing it for us. And, and this is just basically the Old Testament, one of the Old Testament blessings put to music. And I, I just feel like it's beautiful. And also, the, I just remember, the word amen means so be it, Lord. So be it. May it be so. It's an agreement together. And it's, and it's in this, this song. Go before you and behind you and beside you, all around you and within you. He 
Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love for us. God, we come before you and we honor you this morning. As we leave this place, help us to have the eyes to see people around us, to really see them, not let them become the background or part of the scenery, but to see them. And Lord, in in seeing them and being seen, we grant them something. We grant them just recognition that they are people who are created in the image of God and help us to be the kind of people who serve and who love. We look forward to this year of coming months of helping the homeless and helping children whose parents are incarcerated and all the ministries that we're involved in doing these sort of things, Lord. But help us also to carry it into our neighborhoods, into our school, into our home, wherever we go. God, that we would be found as people who love Jesus, and it shows by how we live. We give you the honor and the glory.